What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. This is Lindsay Gibbs, sports reporter at Think Progress and Burn It All Down co-host. I am running things solo for this hot take edition, but joining me is the wonderful Courtney Nguyen, WTA senior reporter, insider. What's your what's your exact title, Courtney? Uh, senior, senior writer, senior writer, WTA insider. That's exactly what I said, so that's good. Um, Courtney, that's what I heard. <laughs> Courtney and I uh, have been online internet buddies for quite some time in the world of tennis. And since I don't get to do as much tennis writing these days, I thought it would just be fun for pretty much myself and maybe to share with you guys to have Courtney on just to talk about the women's side of the French Open because Nadal won the men's. That's pretty much all you need to know. <laughs> so Again. Um, <laughs> again 11th time that's incredible uh i don't but i don't i don't really know what else to say about that so let's you you cover the women full time so can we just start with simona Halep? now i listened to you on the wj insider podcast which everyone should subscribe to and listen because it has all these great interviews with players but you have been really because you really get down to the mental side of the game. I know you're really good at observing that part, and because of how much time you get to see with players, did you did you sense that Simona was finally actually ready for this moment, ready to win her first slam, or were you still kind of well? She's saying she is, but I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, Lindsay, it, it depended on the day and hour and whether the sun was shining or raining, <laughs> what my answer to that question was going to be in Paris, honestly, because I, I noticed very early on in the first week, especially after her first two or three press conferences, that she was incredibly relaxed, more relaxed than I'd really seen her, you know, at a major tournament before, just in speaking to the press and, and handling all these questions. And she's had to handle, you know, questions about her mental fortitude for a year now you know, constantly going into press conferences and having people say, you're not strong enough and why. And she's always handled those questions incredibly well and, and took them really head on. So there were days where I would say, you know what, this is the, this is the time. She, she's got it figured out. She's really calm. She fat, battled through some tough matches early on in the tournament and had looked pretty dominant. But then there were other times where, you know, that little whisper in the back of your mind is, oh, but we've been here before. You know, like there, there have been times where I thought it was in the bag that she was going to get it, and most notably 12 months ago. Um, 
And she had a tough second week draw. She had to play three basically back-to-back-to-back slam champions in Angelique Kerber, Garbina Muguruza, and then Sloane Stevens. And I thought that uh, both Muguruza, well, really Kerber as well, but all three of those players were really going to be tough potential outs for her. And I really thought she was going to lose to Muguruza. I just thought the Spaniard was playing incredibly well after dismantling Sharapova. And and I really thought that the matchup against Sloane in the final was going to be tough. And so I went into the final despite you know knowing that she's playing well and she's relaxed and mentally she had done so much work over the last year to to shore herself up for this moment just x's and o's you know when it actually came down to the tennis i, I just thought that sloan was going to outplay her and for a set and a half she was yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean so for those of you who didn't maybe had trouble following the tournament, like pretty much everyone in the United States did. Because, <laughs> I know. Uh, sorry. Sorry, America. <laughs> it's not your fault, Courtney, but I will complain <laughs> to you about it because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I will listen. I will field all complaints. <laughs> but this was a particularly difficult tournament to watch because the Tennis Channel, who is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, who are the last people in the world I want to give money to, uh, <laughs> just kind of holds the tournament hostage um, a little bit. But so... You know, so for just for those of you who weren't paying attention, Simona Halep is the number one player in the world right now. She had made three Grand Slam finals in the past, most notably. Well, the first one was four years ago, right? Here at Roland Garros. Right, 2014. uh, Against Sharapova, where she played one of the best finals I've ever seen. You know, period. And it was just, but Sharapova ended up coming up out on top that. Since then, she's bounced around within the top ten. But last year, she made it back to the final here where she was up a set, up a, a break or a double break in the third against... A break and a point for double break, okay. and that's when it all gotcha. went downhill. <laughs> against uh, Yelena Ostapenko, the upstart uh, Latvian who kind of came out of nowhere and, and won the French Open last year. And, and then she made it to the final of the Australian Open again this year and lost to... Another uh, player who's known for not, uh, <laughs> wasn't known for her nerves on the biggest stages, Caroline Wozniacki. So we got here and it felt like, you know, I loved the Kleister's narratives because I've always thought Simona's game reminded me so much of Kleister's and I'm mm. not alone in that. <laughs> you know, uh, 100%, that. yeah. And, and of course, you know, we, we saw that she had three, um, you know, I think it was Kleister's who had made it to three finals. Had before. four. Four. Oh, she was four before finally owning them. She was 0 and 4 oh, and before four. finally That's breaking right. through. But, but Chris Everett and um, Yana Novotna were also two champions who who needed their who didn't win until their fourth major final. Okay. I, so it's, it's pretty good company. That's that's really not that bad of company when you really yeah. think about it. But it does get hard because you don't want to push that narrative. But after a while, it's hard. Even as, you know, reporters and fans who don't want to give in to the easy narratives, it's hard not to think of it, you know, it's hard not 100%. for it not to, to become a thing. Yeah. And, and to Simona's credit, this was the narrative. This wasn't one that was really plucked out of thin air where, you know, people were just uh, making a big deal out of nothing. Oh, is there a mental block? But she, she admitted it. And and there were very public displays of that kind of in, in crunch time moments, lack of mental fortitude and, 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 you know, a a lack of confidence. And, um, and so, and she, when she was asked about it, acknowledged it and said, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm an incredibly intense person. There's this incredible fire inside of me, but I'm also incredibly insecure. And so when those two things clash, 
I don't know what to do. And, um, and she's really worked hard in the last 12 months since that really tough loss to Ostapenko last year to, as she say, not change her character because she doesn't believe that her character can be changed, <laughs> but to learn, but to learn how to control it and to, to recognize when those moments are coming and to really, to really harness them and ex- embrace them. And as she says, accept them. And I think that's just such a great lesson and a really inspiring one. I mean, it is to me personally, because I'm hardwired in a lot of ways, the same way that Simona is. Um, and so there was a lot of times when I would interview her and, and the truth of all of those things would just ring very, very true about what she was saying, but she started seeing, and she was very open about seeing a sports psychologist to get everything kind of sorted and to really deal with it head on, which, you know, for her as someone who's very shy and introverted, Romanian, very proud for her to kind of open herself up like that was really surprising to me. And, and I didn't think that she would ever do that. And when she started to take those steps, I was like, wow, like you're really doing all of the right things and you're really putting yourself out there, which is why when I started to think about, oh my goodness, is it not going to happen again here uh, in Paris? It became even more heartbreaking because it was like, here you had this kid who, um, I don't mean kid, she's 26 (laughs) years old, but this young woman who um, had done everything, everything that one could ask her to do to finally win this title. And it was very possible that she was going to get upended by someone who last year was not even playing right. in Sloan Stevens, um, who was, you know, a, a about four games away from becoming, you know, a multiple major champion. Which we and will, Simona still having none. <laughs> we will get to Sloan in a minute because I, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I need to you have thoughts, I'm sure. Because <laughs> I'm not sure I was quite ready for that reality. It was amazing as yes. it would have been. Uh, but yeah, what, what I loved, it was almost like it reminded me of – Kind of the way Anna Ivanovich used to use press to like actually be like therapy sessions. hundred <laughs> percent, exactly. That's kind of what I saw from Simona, but I it, it was much less expected from her than it was from from you know Ivanovich. Exactly. Yeah. When when Anna Ivanovich, who won the French Open in two thousand eight and then got to number one and, and really struggled ever since that, when she was constantly getting berated about it um, and asked in press, she almost was talking about it almost from an innocent perspective. Yeah. Like she was, you, you literally were just asking her a question and she was just answering it with Halep. And it was, I, I, t- I spoke to her after she won and I said, you know, what has it been like for you to live these failures quite publicly and actually have to, you know, deal with it and, and answer for it on a weekly basis? And, you know, cause you're shy and, and I could understand that being a very awkward situation. And she said, actually, it helped me talking to you guys. And so, you know, you would ask me the questions and it helped me deal with it. And it, it also let people in. I wanted people to understand how I was feeling. Um, and then it's a great kind of turn of phrase. She said, you know, I would leave it in the room I where we, that. where we spoke. I, yeah. I and then that. I would, I would move on. Yeah. And, and again, it, to, to understand and, and to really to have those words hit home, you have to understand where Simona Halep was two years ago with this stuff. She thought she was hyper competitive. She thought that she was, you know, fighter girl, all these sorts of things. And what she be, she realized once she became a top five player is that she wasn't the competitor she thought she was, that she would check out of matches and let matches go. So for her to, I don't know, like from a competitive perspective, right, Lindsay, to have like a top level athlete, who's pretty much at the pinnacle of the game anyway, like acknowledge I'm not as much, I'm not the competitor I thought I was. That's kind of a heartbreaking thing. It's credible. And then to actually do the work to fix it and to fail publicly time and time and time again, 
um, I think that's why you saw the outpouring that you saw from the tennis community when she won on Saturday is that people knew that this, that this woman, she, she put her heart on her sleeve and she put herself out there to fail once more and, and for her to actually pull it off the way that she did coming back from a set down and a break to, to beat Sloan was, uh, was an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. And it just, you know, it, it did used to feel like, and of course it's easy to armchair quarterback this, but you know, it would feel like a defense mechanism for her, right? Like she would check out a mat of matches, not because she didn't have that competitiveness in her, but to kind of protect herself from that pain, yeah. you know, and from exactly. And then she learned to uh, come about that. Uh, Courtney is in a press room somewhere. Where are you? Courtney? Know, Courtney? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm at the Labema open press room, which is in Holland, in uh, Rosemall in Holland. So if you hear some Dutch in the background, I apologize. I love it. I just wanted to give everyone some context for it. Cause I felt <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, it got loud all of a sudden. Yes, it did. <laughs> Context is important. Okay, but you know, I could talk about Simona for another hour, especially with you. But let's let's talk a little bit about Sloan. I she's she struggled after winning the U.S. Open last year, right? Like she didn't. Yeah, uh, eight eight consecutive losses after winning the U.S. Open. Gosh. You know, it's so funny because a few years ago, Courtney, you you and I were in the Charleston Media Center with Sloan. Yes. <laughs> she was, I don't know if you remember this quote, but she was going through these. She was she was going through one of her slumps, uh, quite a slump, and she said it, people were trying to figure out if Sloan cared about tennis or not like it was speaking of defense mechanisms it was like she had just mentally just checked out and i never forget her giving me giving this quote of being like i mean you know i could just keep trying and you know uh maybe i slipped down to 800 in the world i don't really care but then you know if i still end my career with a slam or two that would be cool and that would be a really good career <laughs> She wasn't wrong. <laughs> she turns out like this 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 nonchalant nineteen year old or whatever it was at the time really was right. She literally dropped out out outside of the top nine hundred and then won the U.S. Open in spectacular fashion last year and then came came here and won and uh, made it to the final the French Open and like you said was up a set and a break. What did you what did you see from her this tournament? How do you put this in the context? Well, I think that what we've learned about Sloan, and it goes back to that Charleston press room, it goes back to the Australian Open, you know, uh, years ago, where she beat Serena to make the semifinals there, is that she, and this goes back to our discussion about Halep as well, she handles pressure in her own specific way. And whereas, you know, I, I think that maybe like a Halep struggles to handle the in-match pressure, I think that you know, what we've seen with Sloan is that she kind of can struggle to handle the tour pressure, which is what happens when you get a big result and then everybody wants all of your time and the expectations goes up and you get all these inundated by press requests and things like that. I think that that's where the confusion for her kind of maybe comes in a little bit. And, and you know, Sloan, again, contrasting her with Halep a little bit, Sloan might, Halep might, for Halep, tennis is the end. It's the whole point of the whole thing. Right. It's the whole point of, of, of all the sacrifices that she's made throughout her career. When she was, you know, young, she had uh, breast reduction surgery in order to, to relieve back problems that she had. Um, she did has done and sacrificed so much for her career. I think that with Sloan, tennis maybe is a bit of a means, and and as opposed to the end. And and for her, what's important is to be happy to live a happy and full life, to be able to spend time with her family, to um, 
you know, just, and, and so sometimes maybe she has to take her foot off the gas pedal in order to, to ensure that she has that life. And, and that allows her to then play good tennis down the road. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so I think that that's the thing is that you see her maybe deal and handle those situations like that. And, and so she can go through the slumps, but the highs are so high for her because the talent is unbelievable. So much. It's so good. She's so good. She's so good. I mean, like I said, Simona Halep is the world number one. She's been the best player on tour since Serena left the tour to have a kid. She's been, you know, the closest that we have to really being a consistent number one. And yet going into that final, it was number one versus number 10. And I was like, honestly, I was giving it 60% to Sloan because when she's playing at her best, I think she's the better tennis player. Whether or not she could is the issue. But actually, as it turned out, Simona Halep out out tennised her. She, she was the more physical player. She ran down every ball. She made Sloan blink. And, um, and at the end, the, the American did. And she led her back in the match. Yeah. You know, Sloan is, there are very, I'm not, I don't have a great tennis memory. And there are very few, like, I, I, I very rarely think back to specific points, but I regularly think back to the points that she and Venus Williams played in that, in that US Open, you know, and the tennis we saw from Sloan there. I mean, her peak is just, it's, it's a, it's a combination of tennis that you don't really ever see from anyone. The, co- the, the combination of athleticism and shot making and power and uh, control. And, you know, I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, no, the way that you describe it is perfect because the way that I was describing it on site is that when, when Sloane Stevens is at her peak, she is hacked tennis <laughs> because you, you're not supposed to be able to do all of those things in one play. Yeah. Right. Like power is supposed to exist and maybe you can counter punch a little bit, but really you can be exposed and, and there's counter punching and grinders, but your lack of power is going to eventually let you down. And she, she has the ability to do it all when she's playing at her best. But I think that, that in the end, it was just, it wasn't even about X's and O's. I think that at the end, it was the fact that, that Halep was just fitter. And, and she, which is ironic because the Australian Open final, which you mentioned before, where she lost to Caroline Wozniacki in January, she lost because of a lack of physicality, not out of her own fault. She had killed herself to get to that final. But Simona Halep landed in the hospital right. after that final out of, out of pure dehydration. And, um, and, uh, and so I think uh, she, was, she was very proud of, her, proud of herself that one of the reasons why she was able to beat Stevens to win the French Open is because she was physically better. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, want to give a shout out to both of the semifinalists, uh, Garbini Muguruza, who it's always good to see her get late into tournaments because the tournament is going to be a more exciting tournament if she's there in the semifinals and on because she, I still don't really understand how Halep beat her so soundly, but, uh, and also Madison Keys. I mean, a semifinal yeah. at the French Open. That's, uh, <laughs> you've got to kind of take that. Like, <laughs> Exactly. I mean, again, you've been there, Lindsay, right? Like back in the Charleston (laughs) days of Madison Keys just laughing at you if you told her that she was good on clay and that she could win on clay. This the absurdity of it all. Um, And then there she was, semifinalist, uh, you know, at the French Open. And that's a really big deal just in terms of the point grab because she's going to have to defend the French Open or sorry, the U.S. Open final points at the end of the year. So it's going to bolster her ranking quite a bit. And I still think that Madison Keys could win the French Open. I really, really genuinely do. Um, And uh, she just needs to get to a slam 
where she's not playing Sloan Stevens across the net. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that Madison's ever going to have the mentality to get past that or the game. You know, I think their friendship impacts her more than it does Sloan. And also Sloan's game, yeah. it's just not a good matchup for Maddie uh, at all. It's not a good matchup for many, but but then you add on top of that the, their right, friendship. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I think Sloan knows how to handle it. And I think that for Madison, who's like one of the nicest kids in the game, uh, again, I keep saying kids. I keep referring to them as kids because I'm so much older than them. But, uh, you know, 22, 23 years old. But um, she, she, yeah, those things become difficult for her to get yeah, over. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough battle. But look, we're running out of time. But I, if, because, the, you know, this is burning all down, we have to talk about Serena. It was such an interesting tournament from her to see her make it through that first week, get to this, uh, or almost through the first week, <laughs> uh, you know, get to this much hyped match, overhyped, whatever you want to call it against Maria Sharapova. And then of course, due to injury, she had to withdraw. Uh, first of all, though, I wanted to ask you, I'm really curious your opinion, because the talk of going into the tournament was about the unfairness of her not getting seated and about, um, you know, the WTA's rules. And I know that you, you know, you're, you're, I don't want to make you have to, you know, uh, critique the rules here. I know that might put you in a weird position, but what, <laughs> but is there, I mean, I think there's, it's an interesting conversation when it comes to tennis. It's not quite as cut and dry as it is in other sports. And I felt that there was kind of some nuance maybe missing from this conversation and was kind of curious what your thoughts were on this uh, for, for Serena. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you've nailed it on the head in terms of what my thoughts are, which is that I think it's a very complicated situation. And I think that the initial very knee-jerk reaction derailed the conversation, right, right. you know, because people – you know, because I think it's an important one to have, but it needs to be had based on inaccuracy of facts and inaccuracy of understanding what makes tennis a little bit different than other workplaces, um, that it's a competitive environment that, um, and, and I was getting a lot of uh, comments and questions where people were confusing protected seatings with protected rankings and, and not understanding why a protected ranking, which allows you entry into tournaments uh, for a set amount of time to allow you to build up your ranking, why in a lot of ways the, the, the mothers on tour find that to be far more important to them than a protected seating. So let's, let's break um, that down really quickly for people, just in case sure. they don't know. So the protected ranking means that if you are off the tour for a specific amount of time due to injury or illness or motherhood, in this case, that you when you return, as long as you return within a specific time frame, which I do think, I think Azarenka made a good point, that that time frame could be extended for mothers, uh, for sure. Exactly. And that would be very helpful, but that you can still get entry into tournaments. So even if, you know, you don't have a rank because you've been out and you're pregnant if you were before you left if you were ranked in the top 10 you can still get into the grand slams the main draws you just won't be one of the seeds so you will be unseated in the tournament which means you could face the number one in the draw or you could face you know another unseated player you just don't know um exactly and i mean i think for tournament balance i mean so few of the players who are going to come back are going to be serena <laughs> do you know what i mean i mean 
Exactly. And so that, that makes it a little bit complicated. Yep. Like I, I kind of don't, I can see maybe having a few, you know, maybe there, there's a compromise or middle ground here, you know, but, uh, you know, about picking and choosing the seeds, but, and, and maybe giving tournaments a little bit more discretion is the way to do it. But you also don't want, it's going to make the whole tournament draw incredibly lopsided. If you have a player, you, you know, a top five seed who's been off the tour and is just coming back from motherhood and isn't quite ready for that. Yeah. And that, and that's the, the other big question is that, you know, if you are in a situation where, you know, it's easy right now to conceptualize Serena as the number one seed, because conceptually, uh, maybe to tennis fans, but definitely to, to non-tennis fans, Serena's the goat, right? Like she's the greatest of all time. How can she possibly be seeded anything other than number one? But the question is, is Serena Williams playing number one tennis? right now? Is she a better tennis player right now than a Simona Halep or, you know, Caroline Wozniacki or Garbina Muguruza? That's one question. That goes to the competitive balance question. The other one, too, even from an equitable perspective, because everybody's saying this is so unfair. Well, it's also unfair to the number 32 seed, because you're going to put her into it and you're going to bump out somebody who over the last 12 months has killed themselves on tour and earned this protected position. And is that any easier of a conversation or an any more fair conversation to have with that player than is the one with Serena? I think thirdly, I think Azarenka, uh, Victoria Azarenka, who herself is a mother who came back last year at Wimbledon, um, was unseated. Um, former number one, and for a long time, the only woman that we would consider really Serena's actual on-court rival, um, that, that Azarenka said, what if, she's like, look, it's, it's a very easy decision to make if I make this emotional and if I make this personal. But what if Serena and I are the exceptions? You, what if that shouldn't be the rule? It's just that with us, like we're the exceptions to it. Do you then make a rule that is blanket for the entire tour just because the two of us exist. And I think that that's, she makes it a very good point. She's on the player council and a bunch of reporters in Paris were interviewing other moms that are on tour that have come back and a lot of them, and they are lower ranked, but a lot of them said, no, protected seating is not something that we want because what we need is protected ranking. And what Azarenka said, which is extend it, give us more longer time, you know, so that we don't have to rush back from maternity uh, leave in order to to use our protected ranking. So it's just, it's yeah. a complicated situation. Again, it's a competitive environment. And again, you know, if you look at team sports, if it's the NWSL or the WNBA, and I genuinely don't know what their rules are on this, but I'm kind of doubting this, that, yeah, maybe we guarantee your slot on the team, but are you entitled to be in the starting lineup right. no. if you come yeah. back? Absolutely not. Right. It's, it's tough, you know, but, but no one's stopping Serena from playing and no one's stopping her from building her ranking and she'll be able to get as many wild cards as she wants and tournaments will be throwing themselves at her for to, to, to do it. And as she gets the results, which we all think that she will, her ranking will be where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that, that Very cool. you know, and Azarenka has done such a great job advocating for more childcare tournaments for the women's uh, league and just more accommodations for mothers in that way uh, that the ATP I think has done because there's just historically been so many more fathers than mothers and so many kids traveling. Right. And I think like maybe things like that are where the priority should lie as opposed to, you know, the, right. the seating, but it is an interesting conversation. And I, 
I understand how it got to where it got, you know, very easily. Um, but listen, Courtney, I have to run, but thank you so much for joining us. I could talk to you all day. Of course. It was a blast. <laughs> it was. And anytime, anytime you guys need a tennis, tennis head, let me know. Absolutely. Thank you so much.